Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, welcome to our first episode of Going Deeper. And we are so excited today to have with us a very special guest that's going to really help us go deeper on the subject of the evidence of the Israelites in Egypt. And so we have with us today Tim Mahoney. He is a documentary filmmaker, director, and author. And he has a a film company called Thinking Man, um, let's see, Thinking Man Films, which I love the name. And the description is that we take curious people on a journey of becoming thinkers. And I love that. It's all about just being willing to ask questions and then analyze the answers that you're being given. Uh, Tim produced an amazing documentary that was released in 2015 called Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus. And we're here today to talk about some of the findings that are in that documentary. So I'd like to read for you just a little bit about that documentary. It's an award-winning documentary by filmmaker Timothy Mahoney that chronicles an in-depth archaeological investigation in Egypt as his team attempts to corroborate the biblical text. The film explores one fundamental question. Is there evidence that the Exodus story actually happened? Are the stories relived in the Passover celebration based on real history or not? Although many scholars and archaeologists deny the validity of the Exodus story for lack of proof, Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus, builds a case that sheds new light on the story and reveals new and rarely seen evidence that may corroborate the biblical story. And I will say I found it to be exceptionally done, well done, and so exciting. So, uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me on on your program. I'd love to hear your story. How did you get started in this journey? Well, uh, you know, I didn't know it was going to be this long of a journey, to be honest with you. And and I think I, I got started in this journey as a child, to be quite honest, because of my grandmother and my mother's faithfulness in reading to me from the Bible. And uh, so I grew up uh, where at, uh, at before we went to bed every night, we had this Bible storybook uh, that uh, for children, I think it was called and had illustrations. And so each night we would, my mother would read uh, with us, you know, read for us, and and then we would have her. And so at an early age, I think that uh, the biblical accounts were in my heart, and I've always believed them to be true. But you know, as you grow older and you go to high school and you hear about evolution, you hear about all these different ideas in the world. And um, I grew up in the seventies, and (laughs) uh, you you start to People challenging what you believe just by their lifestyle. And uh, so I went to a, a Christian college 
for two years. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I was going to be involved with music. But as it turned out, um, I was very interested in radio. And I, on the radio, I heard a, an advertisement for a film school. And I had just seen the movie The Hiding Place, which uh, some of your listeners might remember. It's the story of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, and it was a Billy Graham film produced by Worldwide Pictures. And I had never been to a movie. Um, I was from a conservative Christian home and uh, I was like 17 or 18 years old. And I decided to, to see my first film in a theater and it uh, with the possibility of, of being a filmmaker. And when I heard about this film school on, on a radio, I decided that after I, I've completed my studies at the Bible school, I would go into film and try to make a go of it. And that's how it, that's how it all started. But it was a long journey from the time I went to school until I actually made Patterns of Evidence. It was probably close to 30 years before I actually made a big film. Well, in terms of Patterns of Evidence itself, what took you to that, that subject? What, um, what led you onto that specific journey? It really was just an, an adventure. Uh, I had been making uh, curriculum with Bible teachers and uh, scholars, I had done probably 30 curriculums, so probably 300 episodes. Uh, I was always trying to find a way, and I sensed that there was something I was supposed to do. And I didn't know that I would become a documentary filmmaker, even though I had made documentaries in the past. I always was thinking it was just going to be much more flashy and making something like, uh, you know, a feature film. But um, when I heard that people were searching to be honest with you, for chariot wheels on the bottom of the seafloor in the Red Sea, I thought, that's crazy. You know, could there be? And, and we started meeting people that talked about it and said that they had been diving and looking for that. So back in around 2000, uh, the year 2000 is when I heard about these things. And uh, I, I'd seen another film that had been produced by it, and I was going to help them. But as it turned out, I ended up being so gripped by this that um, I got pulled into the whole investigation myself. And after 2002, it was the year 2002, we ended up going into Egypt to uh, begin what became the first um, scenes that were shot in Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus. Well, I have to believe that because of this journey that you've been on in your life, that making this documentary was life-changing because the findings are so exciting and What's your takeaway from the journey you've been on that we can share with our audience? Well, one thing I'll share is that, you know, for a lot of people, they might have heard negative things about the Bible. And I did. In fact, in my one of the very first uh, scenes when I went to Egypt, I went to the very location where the Israelites were said to have, have lived. And I talked with an Egyptologist there, Manfred Bitek. And he had been there for years digging, and, and I thought he was saying there's evidence. But when I got there, I said, have you found any evidence for the Israelites? And he said, so far, not. And when he said those words, it was like I was absolutely just struck and stunned because I couldn't believe what he was saying. And it took me so much work to get from where I live, Minnesota, Minnesota, you know, all the way to Egypt to where the Israelites lived. It was a long journey to get there. And then to hear that 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 began a seed of doubt in my life, uh, that when I carried it home, I was in this office here, just in another room in an attic suite, looking at that footage, when I had a crisis of faith, a thought came into my mind that maybe everything I had believed about the Bible 
was false, that my mother and my grandmother believed that it was all a lie. And this enormous sense of hopelessness came over me. And then almost at a uh, another thought came into my mind from the other side. It was like, stop editing, get up, go to your office. And so I came into this office and there's a bookcase that we had over here and it said, read that book. And it was a book, actually, I have a copy of it here. It was this book, uh, uh, Pharaohs and Kings, I can kind of see it there, by David Roll. And I opened this book up. Uh, someone had given it to me a, a, a few years before and said, you should read this. Well, I had it's lot, lots of books. And, but this one was the same dig site that I had been at. Uh, and David Roll, an Egyptologist, had, who was an agnostic, by the way, he actually was pointing to the work that Manfred Bitek was doing. And he was saying that beneath the area they think it should be is where the real evidence for the Bible is. And that then began me on this journey to go uh, to England. And it started a whole new part of my, my life and investigation. So you asked the question, so how has it impacted me? What I've seen is that, there, that the Bible, I've become more and more confident in the historical credibility of the Bible than I've ever been. And as we've uncovered these things, you know, we've made multiple films. Then uh, the, the next film I realized that we had to make was called The Moses Controversy. And do you know at that same location uh, where the Israelites uh we're, we're at in Goshen, this land in the eastern delta, is where the world's first alphabet also uh, is identified to have come from. So things started to come together. As I started looking this technique of looking for patterns of evidence, what was happening is the biblical account was becoming alive and, and things were fitting together. And as you know, in our films, we create patterns that we look for. So we look for sequences, you know, can we find the arrival? Can we find the multiplication? Can we find slavery? All these things start adding up. And we uh, then are, uh, are finding an amazing pattern that matches the biblical account in the right sequence. And that's basically the kinds of things that I've been doing with these films. And what's so amazing is that that's in the face of mainstream archaeologists and scholars who are saying there is no evidence. And you go to Egypt and you show all of this amazing evidence and you easily explain it's just a matter of the dating, of the time period. So let's talk about that a minute because one of the problems is that in the Bible it mentions the land of Ramses is that that's the land the Israelites left uh, when they began the Exodus. So that would imply that uh, they were there during or after Ramses II, who built the city of Ramses. But there's such a thing as called an anachronistic usage um, of the, the description. And we have it in other places in the Bible with other cities and other examples. So um, to say that when the Bible was being written down, this story was being written down, the writer described the area that it was known later on, that when the Israelites were there, it was not yet called Ramses, but during the telling of the story, it was. So can you just elaborate a little bit more about that timing issue and the city of Ramses? Yes, oh, this is a great point. Uh, and what we know is that in the book of Genesis, it says that 
Jacob and his family went to the land of Ramesses. I mean, this is, uh, you know, they're in this area. And we realized that, well, Ramesses didn't exist at the time of Jacob. And so what's happening is that there's a city. So, you know, uh, there's a word called Tel. And a Tel is a mound of which uh, cities are built upon. Because once a war, you know, let's say a city's burned down and it's crumbled, then they, but there's a reason that's a good location for a city. They build a new one and it keeps getting taller and taller. Well, in this particular case, there is a city underneath the city of Ramesses, and that city was called Avaris. And so as the, uh, as the archaeologists were digging, they were uncovering what, what uh, looked like a, a, a biblical account. Uh, and it was the small group of people who were not Egyptian. These people were uh, Semitic, and the Israelites were Semitic. So these people came into the area and they were allowed to be there. They were given permission to come into this area because they could tell just by the way uh, they were able to be there. And they lived in different types of homes, not the type that Egyptians would live in. And the small community comes in there and then they start to expand and grow and prosper. And when they un when they uncovered the graves, they could see that some of these people were very, very wealthy. They were almost like princes. And it, 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 it kind of gives you an understanding of what possibly did Jacob and his sons, what kind of wealth did they have when they came in to live, when Joseph invited them in to live. So what's happening and what Egyptologist David Roll was saying was that this uh, archaeology is matching the biblical narrative. But because many people have placed the biblical narrative at the time of Ramses, hundreds of years earlier, they, they don't connect it. And they will not connect it. So all I'm doing in the films is saying, well, where is the pattern? What kind of evidence matches what the Bible says? And I'm just showing it. Uh, uh, and that's basically the, the approach that we're using. And what we're seeing is that these people arrive. They're not Egyptian. They build homes that are more Israelite oriented. Uh, they grow into a large group. But then there's uh, what appears to be hardship. And this group of people look as though they're not as healthy <clears throat> and their graves. Uh, uh, they can tell that they're they're sick and, and they're and not only that, but there appears now to be more women than men, which is also matching the biblical text of the culling of the firstborn. So what we're seeing is the first part of, you know, Genesis working our way into the time when finally Moses comes when there's slavery. Uh, that's that's coming, and some of the documents too uh, have there's a there's some papyrus that actually you know has names, and um, the names seem like they come right out of the Bible, and these are Jewish names, Semitic names, names like uh, Menachem, uh, Ishakar, Asher, uh, Shifra, on a slave list from this earlier time period. So what we're seeing is that. People that appear to have the same types of names that we do mention biblical text uh, are showing up in, on slave lists earlier in time than what most people would consider the Israelites being there. And that is called <clears throat> the Brooklyn Papyrus, and you show it in your documentary and talk about it. And it proves there were Hebrew slaves in an earlier time period than the city of Ramses. There's yeah. two other proofs that um, the time of Ramses is too late, and that's in the uh, Merneptah stele and the Berlin pedestal, if I'm right. So 
Right. Can you explain those two findings? Right. Uh, the merneptostele is, um, uh, it says, uh, it's a, um, it's by Mernepta, which is one of the sons of Ramesses. And he's basically saying that, that Israel is captive and that they are, they've been uh, suppressed. They've been um, underneath his control. Uh, and what, the reason why that is very odd, if you have a Ramesses time period for the Exodus, which is around 1250 BC, is, be, is that the Israelites uh, wouldn't have had time to establish as a, the land. They were still in the wandering. So there's no, it doesn't make sense. And, and when you start to place uh, information on a timeline and you're looking at uh, people are saying that Ramesses was the Pharaoh of the Exodus and that, you know, the, that they, they left at that time. What we're saying is that after Ramesses uh, passing, I believe uh, Merneptah came along and within um, just several years, I'm not sure how many years it is, but it's probably four or five years. I think this steely comes up and, it's it's saying things that Israel would have been established. So in the land, which was way too early, it doesn't match the biblical account of wandering, uh, the forty years in the wilderness. So what we're what other scholars are telling us is that it's telling us yes that they were there, but they were there much earlier in time. And so the the battle for the Bible, one of the fronts is chronology. It's the dating of of events. And that's where uh, a lot of reasons for some people saying, well, if it happened at the time of Ramesses, then it didn't happen because they're not finding any evidence of the Israelites at that time. <clears throat> but if you look earlier in history, uh, in the Egyptian record, that's when you see the uh, Semitic people and the Israelites. And this area that we talked about of Avaris actually has um, something happened where there were uh, plague pits that show up and uh, they see that uh, people are thrown in and not buried properly. And it matches the uh, account where the you know, Passover, where the blood of the lamb was to be spread on the doorposts and that the angel of death would come through the land. And whoever didn't put that blood of the lamb on their doorpost, um, they were killed. But if you did, you were passed over and you were saved. And what David Roll is saying is that, hey, these pits that show up appear to be um, a plague. You know, people and then uh, they're not buried properly. And then all the population leaves. And what he's suggesting is that's the exodus. That's the time of the exodus. In fact, there's even a document that talks about um, it's called the uh Ipuru, I'm trying to, the admonitions of an Egyptian sage. And uh, if I can find a couple lines here, uh, I would read it to you. But it's basically saying that the river has turned to blood. Um, and those who are slaves who had no wealth are walking around with riches. Well, how did that happen? Well, remember, when they left, they were told to go and ask for wealth from, from uh, the Egyptians, and they were given gold and silver and earrings. And it says that um, death is everywhere. There's mourning and all the things, almost word for word, that the scripture says also is matched in this document called the Admonitions of an Egyptian Sage, the Ippuwer Papyrus. Yes, so and Ippuwer was a, an Egyptian writing what looks to be a story very, very, very similar 
yeah. to the plagues and um, and to the the exodus. So I, I want to sum up what we've said so far, and then I want to talk a little bit more about the city of Averis, and because there's some really really exciting finds there. So what we've said is that archaeology itself indicates the Israelites were already in Canaan and an established nation by the time of Ramses. So uh, that plus a correct interpretation of the Bible, meaning that they used the place name later than it was really named that. So uh, this is indicating the Israelites were in Egypt earlier than the period of Ramses. And then you, by looking at the earlier time periods, have found these various patterns of the Israelites. And a lot of it is in the city of of Varus. And so uh, you've, you've talked about they were very wealthy, they were doing well. I, I read or heard maybe on your documentary, it was like the largest city almost in the entire Levant at that time. That's how populous this people group had become, which is exactly what the Bible says. And then you see their decline in health as they're oppressed and maybe made slaves. Uh, we have found a papyrus from the similar time naming Hebrew slaves. So all these indications and what I find fascinating is the archaeologists are not asking these questions. They just do not want to prove the Bible in a way. They just, I think they, some of them almost find joy in saying there's no proof of the Bible because they're looking at the wrong time period. And um, you went in asking questions and digging deeper. So tell us now a little bit more about Averis because there's this um, a house that was built that was later uh, leveled and a palace built on top of it. Explain that to us. That's correct, yes. So at the center of this community is this house and it's called the Middlesaw House, I believe. It's a German tech term for a, uh, uh, it's a multi-room house. And, but it's the different style of architecture that uh, is not used in Egypt. It comes from the area of Haran, I believe. It, and this is where Jacob's family would have come from uh, originally. And so what they're seeing is that they call it, I think they see a connection with the Israelites in this house. And uh, so there's this one main house and it's, it's uh, supposed. And by the way, a lot of what I've done, I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not an Egyptologist. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm more of a, I'm an investigative filmmaker, so I'm not finding all the evidence, but I'm finding the evidence that exists and making it into a film in a way that most people haven't collected it before. And what this uh, would uh, Egyptologist David Rose uh, identifying was that was that this house then was destroyed. What Manfred Bitek, the Egyptologist, telling was destroyed, and a palace was built on top of it. Now that's unusual, but I I believe that there's a custom that it, when the the head of a home um, dies, then uh, another person takes that area and then rebuilds on top of that his home. And if Joseph was, let's say, considered in a sense a patriarch of the family because of his position as the, um, the, the second in command in Israel, then he would have had, when he retired, he would have had a place he would have wanted to live among his family. That's one of the, the ideas that, that he would have had a palace here. So here's this palace in the midst of all these Semitic type people. And they found that there was a cemetery 
families had cemeteries attached to their homes so that you could, um, you know, pay your specs. And, and there was a tomb there, uh, a very unusual tomb, which was a pyramid tomb. And inside that pyramid tomb was a person who was not Egyptian, but it was Semitic. There was a statue, a mortuary statue that was that put up there. And the, the person had uh, uh, a different colored skin. It was uh, light colored skin, red hair. Uh, so it was, he was a, he was Semitic. He wasn't a dark, per, darker person like an Egyptian. And uh, this person had a coat of many colors. It was a multicolored coat. And he had a, a like a staff of authority. So what we know is there's this, a, a Semitic person buried in a pyramid tomb. And what we understand is that these pyramid tombs uh, weren't given to, they've never found another, I believe, another tomb that was given to a Semitic person that was a pyramid. And if we look at the Bible and you see what Joseph did by saving the nation of Egypt from this famine, he would have been honored. But what ends up happening is at this uh, cemetery site, there are also 11 other principal tombs. And so what do we know is we have a, a, an important tomb and then 11 other tombs that are there. And there were 12 sons that Jacob had. And the palace, by the way, also had 12 pillars. So there's a question of, is this number 12 significant? We know there's the 12 tribes of Israel. So what they found out, though, when they opened the tomb was that the, uh, that the bones were missing from the pyramid tomb. It had been broken into once before. And what does Joseph tell his brothers? He says, when you go back to the land promised to us by Abraham, but by God through, you know, through Abraham and the promise that was made to Abraham, take my bones with you, bring me back. And I believe that this is matching once again, the biblical account of, you know, the promise that Joseph made his brothers make so that when they, the archaeologists got there, the bones were gone. And what's unusual is that nobody steals bones. When they go to, they steal jewelry, they steal other things, gold, whatever, but they don't steal the bones, but the bones were missing. And once again, like a hand in a glove, uh, like a hand in a glove, the biblical account is matching the pattern of evidence that the archaeologists were uncovering. And that's why many people see this as the location where Joseph and his family, the early Israelites, lived. Well, I think it's just absolutely fascinating uh, this palace and the 12 uh, graves and one of them, a tomb grave. And, and uh, I mean, you can't find a more perfect evidence of Joseph and the Israelites in Egypt. Um, there's just one final thing we'll talk about before we end our time today. And that is uh, there's a famous canal in Egypt that even today is called the Canal of Joseph. Um, tell us about that. Well, uh, uh, David Roll, Egyptologist, also identified that canal, and others have, because it's called the, so the question would be, if there's flooding, how do you stop flooding? How do you uh, prepare for uh, flooding or famine? Uh, and one of the thoughts would be to create a offshoot. So where if the water comes, the water is flood, you know, coming from Africa, and it's flowing actually north into the Mediterranean Sea. And each year it would it would flood. And so one of the questions that he looked at was if there was flooding, 
during a particular time or, or because of rain or whatever, sometimes that also can prevent crops from growing. Because if you can't get the crop in the ground because it's, it's underwater, that's similar to a famine. You can't plant. So he's seeing that this canal, he believes that it was, it was dug under the direction of Joseph to be a, a relief valve to take water during the time of flooding. And that's, that's the understanding that it has been there for thousands of years. And it was created because Joseph was looking at the situation in Egypt and finding a way to, uh, you know, off, uh, to divert the water from flooding the land. So those are some of the uh, things that are in our films and uh, books that we have. And um, it's just, once again, um, looking for that pattern of evidence in the sequence that then matches the biblical account. Yes, and that canal, uh, we know for the last thousand years, it's been called the canal of, uh, of Joseph. We don't know what it was called, you know, 3,000 years ago, but the famous, the, rap, the, the uh, Pharaoh that you think is the Pharaoh of the time of, of Joseph, uh, the favorable Pharaoh of Joseph, uh, he built a pyramid next to that waterway. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. And uh, so, yep. Yeah, so there's all these different questions. And uh, obviously, because I'm involved with different viewpoints, we're constantly hearing from different points of view. And that's another thing that when we make Patterns of Evidence films, what we're trying to do is uh, I have a point of view, but I'm listening to multiple different viewpoints, including people who say it didn't happen. And saying, okay, convince me if, you, if you're saying this didn't happen. Why do you say that? Help me to understand this better. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to hear from different viewpoints uh, to help the audience make a decision. Well, thank you, Tim, for your time today. I really recommend everyone get the Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus DVD, and uh, watch this. It's about, what is it, almost two hours in length? Tim, it really goes into detail. It shows you everything and it's done so well. It's very, very easy to understand and follow. So we link to it in our show notes to today's show, which are found right below. And uh, we really encourage you to get that and also come back next week for our Going Deeper segment part two, where we're going to continue with him and discuss the evidence of the Exodus and the Red Sea crossing. So, uh, Tim, thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. And uh, thank you, everyone that joined us. And we look forward to being back with you again next week. Until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.